What if I were to tell you that there are Jewish followers of Yeshua, Jesus, living in Jerusalem and teaching the Torah to other Jewish followers of Yeshua? What's going on? Are God's promises coming true and his word, his Torah, is finally going forward from Jerusalem? Well, this is all happening at the Brahm Center for Messianic Jewish Learning. And today, we're joined by two Brahm Center staff who will give us a behind-the-scenes look at what everyday life and work looks like at the center in Jerusalem. Put your hand and mine together We will walk in harmony Let me introduce you to my teacher The rabbi from the Galilee you're listening to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. Messiah Podcast is a production of First Fruits of Zion. Hey, Jacob, my friend, how are you faring on this summer day? I feel pretty good. I cleaned my whole office so I could record my um, portion connections, which is some uh, some exclusive content just for Torah Club students, which you can find at ffoz.org. But uh, yeah, it's nice. Dusted all my furniture. It's always nice to have a clean working environment stuff. It is. I completely agree as I look at my somewhat messy desk right now, but uh, that's a good reminder. So spring cleaning isn't a thing. Summer cleaning can totally be a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You need to pounce right on that. It just helps you clear your mind. Yeah, I agree. I got to get on that. Well, today we get to hang out with some of our colleagues. Woo! Yeah, we have a little uh, water cooler conversation here with Jeremiah Michael and Judy Abrams, who are in Jerusalem right now. Yeah, they're going to tell us specifically about the work that they do at the Brahm Center. Have you ever been? Have you ever been to the Brahm Center? No, I went to Israel like 30 years ago and I did, but not since then. So yeah, I was a little tiny person when I went there. And it might not have been there to uh, to visit, of course. There was no Brahm Center at that time. Well, yeah, I also haven't been to Israel since before the Brahm Center was a thing. So on my next trip, I'm really hoping we have the chance to visit. I I personally am just dying to get into their library. That's my goal. I've heard it's magnificent. I would love to sit in on, on some of these classes. I would love to sit in or maybe uh, install a microphone wired directly to my computer so I can just have all of it forever. Now there's an idea. How do we how do we work on getting these perks? I don't know. I'll hire a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay. all this and more coming up on Messiah Podcast. Welcome, Jeremiah and Judy. It's great to have you here all the way from Jerusalem. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. It's fun to be be able to chit-chat a bit. Absolutely. Well, Jacob and I have the pleasure of knowing both of you, but um, our audience does not yet. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about how you came to be in Israel at all and specifically at the Brahm Center? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Jeremiah Michael. Some of you might know me from Portion Connections and uh, various articles I am the son of the founder of First Roots Design, Boaz Michael, and my journey to Israel is a bit more complicated than Judy's. I came here originally as a three-year-old, actually, back in the early 90s. We lived here for about six and a half years, and then I came back to the States right before I turned 11, and we traveled the country, the States, for a while, and when I was about 25, my parents moved back to Israel. And my sister actually moved first to Israel to enlist in the Israeli Air Force. And then my parents followed in her footsteps. And then my brother and then my other sister moved back. And my wife and I, during a trip to Israel, I just felt this deep sense that I need to come back to Israel. And what bothered me was there's all these kids speaking in Hebrew around me. and I couldn't understand what they were saying. And this very much bothered me. So I turned to my wife and I said to my wife, I said, I think we need to move back to Israel. And... Um, at first, she wasn't really uh, into that idea too much, but then eventually through time, she came back to it. And about a year after that event, we moved to Israel, uh, me and my wife and my, at the time, 10-month-old daughter. And we've been here ever since. And how I came into the Brahm Center essentially is that when my parents were here, and we'll get more into this story later on, they believed that First Fruits of Zion seems to have a physical presence in the land of Israel called the Brahm Center. And I basically just started learning and immersing myself in Jewish literature and cutting my teeth in Hebrew 
through various uh, intensive one-on-one studies with various Israelis. And really, like the Brahms Center for a while for me wasn't really a place where I was teaching. It was more of a place where I was learning and really expanding my mental horizons into Jewish literature and Hebrew and, you know, and Israeli thought. What about you, Judy? Yeah. Okay. So I, I grew up in the U.S. in, in Atlanta. And I grew up at a Messianic congregation that had a heart for Israel and, and, you know, a desire to have, have Jewish believers move to Israel. And I had never visited Israel until between my junior and senior year of college. And I was studying psychology and some of my friends were talking about going on this Messianic trip uh, that we were going to spend three, three and a half weeks in Israel. And so I decided that it was, it was time to finally get to Israel and, and see what it was like, see if I could pick up a little bit on some Hebrew, you know, more than just learning letters for my bat mitzvah. And uh, I just had a really, really incredible time. When you're Jewish and you come to your homeland, it's, there's something inside of you that awakens and it's really special. And so I told myself, okay, like maybe one day I'll be back in Israel for a little bit. But my head was very focused on academics. Um, my goal was to continue my education after my bachelor's through a doctorate in psychology to work with families. But after I finished school, I thought to myself, well, when better is it than to go to Israel for a few months? So, like, let's pick up and go. And uh, me and a mutual friend who I had also met through different Messianic conferences growing up made Aliyah. We moved to Israel together and got our citizenships. And during that time, I was thinking, okay, well, am I supposed to be here? Is this just temporary? What's the situation? And there was there was really one day also that I had already when I was in Israel, just a few months later, and I, I had already gotten my citizenship just in case anyways. And the Lord just was very strong and revealing to me that this is where you're supposed to be. I started crying. I was at like a bus stop. And so that same day, I went um, to the draft office and signed on for the military. And it was just very clear. It was when the Lord is clear, He's clear. So um, that's what I knew I was supposed to do. And so after I moved to Israel, I was in an ulpan, which is a Hebrew school, for about five months. And well, the first Hebrew school I was in was for a few months. And uh, Boaz was also a student in that same Hebrew class. And I didn't know at the time who he was. I didn't grow up around First Fruits materials at all. And he recognized, even though I was very much on the down low about my messianic identity, he picked it up. He has a has a messianic radar that's very strong. And, <laughs> oh, radar. Yeah, yes, yeah. got to have a good radar. <laughs> and so he kind of figured out that me and my friend were believers and um, talked to us a bit after class one day. And um, it was a bit, we were a bit nervous just because we were in the process of making citizenship. And it, it's difficult to try to find a balance between how much of your messianic identity do you show to others who you don't know very well. But it was very clear that he was a believer and we connected. And um, his children, aka Jeremiah and his siblings, are all around my same age. And we became friends really quickly. And as I was in the army, uh, Boaz and his wife Amber really took me under their wing and, and treated me really, I mean, like one of their own. And I was just really inspired by their hospitality and their way of life. And um, it was really the first time that I had seen a Messianic couple be so dedicated to Judaism. And it was really inspiring to me. Um, of course, after after I got to know their family, there were other families who kind of came along or people who uh, I was inspired by here in Israel. And so after I finished the military, there was a few years there also over COVID that I was working for a different office and then uh, was very grateful when I was offered to come work at the Brahm Center as, as the event coordinator administrator here. I really enjoy what we do here. We have so many projects and it's just an exciting place to be. Is the rumor I heard true that Boaz was actually just impressed by how much more quickly you were picking up Hebrew than he was in Ulpan? <laughs> that is true. Oh, oh, dangerous rumor. I know, but we, listen, me, me and my friend who had moved to Israel together, we, our nickname for Boaz was, was the best old guy in the class. And when we say, oh, when nice. we say old guy, we mean people over, over 35, right? Because we were, we were in our early right, 20s at no. the time. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, Jacob, stone, Jacob, no. you and I, you, you and I are way out. Uh. We're way out. <laughs> <laughs> it was at that time. And now I'm in my 30s, too. I understand the wisdom of age. It's okay. Right, exactly. We, we, we appreciate it. We enjoy it. Oh, are, you, are you feeling it? Are you feeling it, Judy? Yes, is it sneaking up on it. you? I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm almost one of those old guys I talked about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Judy, Jeremiah, you're both working at the Brahm Center. Now, for those of us who 
don't know what the Brahms Center is, let's let's talk about it. What is the Brahms Center and the vision behind it? Now, you're actually there right now, right? So if we hear any any traffic and anybody shouting in Hebrew, it's because you're in the That's middle of it. Jerusalem. Yeah, right right in downtown. You'll, you'll definitely hear some, some horns honking. Yeah. Well, so the, where is it located? The Brahms Center is located in the center of Jerusalem, literally the center of Jerusalem. And our vision essentially is to be a space for Messianic Jews, Israeli Messianic Jews, to express a more traditional understanding of their discipleship and faith in Yeshua. And we do this through various ways, through classes, through one-on-one intensive studies called Chevrutot, through lectures, through social events. But really, if I could capture the vision of Brahm Center, it's to be that space where people can come and say, you know, I'm a Jewish disciple of Jesus. What does this mean? How does Yeshua impact my Judaism? Does it impact it at all? How does it impact my walk in the Torah? And we can be that space to say, okay, there's this thing called Messianic Judaism, which is kind of odd because the church looks at it and says, uh, that's kind of weird. Okay, you guys have Yeshua, but this whole Judaism Torah thing, it's a bit weird. And Judaism looks at us and says, okay, that's great. You have the Torah, but you got this Jesus guy. That's really weird. So the question is, what is this? And most Messianic Israelis would probably just define themselves as Christians. And we want to sit back and say, listen, hey guys, there's this thing called Messianic Judaism. And here is what Messianic Judaism is. Here's how it functions. Here are its beliefs. And here's how you can express your Jewish discipleship to Yeshua in a proper manner that is both honoring to Yeshua and to the Torah. So, I mean, we're, we'll unpack that more later on, but just to give you like a thumbnail sketch of what the vision of the Brahm Center is, is to really, is to be that space for that understanding to be nourished and, and grow. That's fantastic. And it seems like this concept, it's actually pretty unique in the Messianic Jewish world. We have congregations, we have organizations, but nothing quite like this. Yeah, for sure. And, and Judy can also step in here because she has had much more um, uh, day-to-day contact with Messianic congregations here. But yes, it is a very unique thing. Most Messianic learning centers, congregations, et cetera, would not see really any kind of value in in adapting Jewish practice to discipleship. It, to them, it's it's just sort of like a uh, it's just a non-issue because it just it doesn't exist in their worldview of of Yeshua faith. Yeah, I think it is special to say that there are so Stephanie mentioned there are so many congregations, there's so many organizations just downtown within walking distance from the Brahm Center. I couldn't even list them all, but 10 or 15, even just within walking distance. And um, there isn't a specific place that's kind of for everyone that's a learning center specifically. So you, of course, have your congregations, which you can you know go to over the weekend or who meet during the week at some point. And you have your organizations that are nonprofits that are working full time. But to have a learning center that says, listen, come by here whenever you'd like. Let us know. Let us know when you're coming by. We'd love to chit chat with you. We'd love to have, you know, we'd love to host a, a study. We'd love to hear what it is that you're thinking. We'd love to let you use our library and just have a place where people from all different backgrounds and all different understandings of faith can come and maybe almost even have a similar experience to what I had when I, after I met the Michaels and after I met other families that cared about Torah and saw it as an example, saw it as something that was beautiful and encouraging and not something that was legalistic and maybe depressing or frustrating in faith and um, that there's this beautiful combo and we do that through learning right like in, in Hebrew the word for disciple is is Talmud which means studier the, the one that's studying and, and that's what we want to do here um, it is important to say that it's not a congregation at, at one point years ago we had simchot and, and different expressions that maybe look a bit more like a congregational life we're not looking to take any congregations place. There, there are plenty of those as well, not just nonprofits, but also plenty of congregations. And each one has their leader and each one has their focus. Uh, but I really, really enjoy learning at the Brahm Center through, through our programs. And once again, it's right here downtown. So it's very accessible. Um, it's very easy to get to. We're in contact with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. And uh, this place is really a common ground. Nice. So we've been saying Brahm Center over and over. And um I, you know, I've been hanging around long enough to know that it's named after a guy named Avram Poliak. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about who that is. Why was he good enough to name this thing after? And uh, how does his vision for the future of Messianic Judaism 
connect with what you're doing there in Jerusalem today? Yeah, that's that's a great uh, question. Who who is this guy, anyways? So Bram Avram Poliak. Bram is actually a short nickname for Avram Abraham, and he was a Jewish believer, a pioneer, a Jewish pioneer who came to Israel in the late '40s, and he had a he had a vision. He wanted to establish a Messianic Jewish presence in Israel. That is a presence of Jewish disciples. And he wanted to have a Messianic Jewish congregation, which he succeeded in. He wanted to have a Messianic Jewish settlement, which he was successful in. But he also wanted to have a Messianic Jewish learning center where Messianic Jews could come and could learn. It could do like your classic uh, yeshiva, your classic Jewish learning program type thing. Now, unfortunately, the last dream or vision that he had, he was not able to succeed in that for for a various a number of reasons. So when my parents returned to Israel back in 2015 or 16, they read Avram Poliak's writings because he wrote in English and German. And so they had access to his writings, unlike the other Messianic Jewish pioneers who wrote in Hebrew. And my dad especially was just very much caught by Avram's vision for Messianic Judaism and for his desire to have a learning center. Avram Polek's vision of Messianic Judaism essentially really does capture our vision of the Brahm Center, which is that we should not see a dichotomy between Yeshua faith on the one hand and Judaism or Torah practice on the other hand. And what happens is in the minds of many people, both Jewish disciples, Gentile disciples, Christians, Jews, Orthodox Jews, Catholics, etc., there is this perceived notion, sometimes it's a conscious awareness, sometimes it's unconscious, that at the end of the day, there's like a dichotomy between Jesus' faith, Yeshua faith, and the Torah and Judaism. And basically the idea was that you don't need to see this dichotomy, that there is no dichotomy, that Yeshua faith is the expression of Judaism, that that is what it is, and that all the hopes of Judaism, its vision, its, its longing for redemption, is found in the person of Jesus, not as that Yeshua replaces Judaism or he does away with it, but that he shows the Jewish people everything you've been longing for, everything you've been hoping for and expecting, I bring to the table. I, I have it. And so for us, the name fits our mission perfectly because that's exactly what we're trying to show people. That's exactly what we're trying to show Messianic Israelis in Israel is that they don't need to see a dichotomy between their Jewishness and their faith in Yeshua. That faith in Yeshua does not obliterate or destroy their Jewish identity as expressed through keeping the mitzvot and the Torah and practicing Judaism. It's, it seems like a really important niche. Like at first people might be like a learning center or whatever, but like I remember when I first realized how important an understanding of traditional Judaism was and I, and I thought to myself like where, where would someone even go to really get schooled and it's like a believer it's going to have a hard time going to yeshiva and if you can't afford to go to like brandeis or you know jerusalem for for university where where can you go you're just trawling the internet you're trawling like aish and chabad and safari just trying to learn it on your own so to have like it is a really important it represents a really important opportunity i think for for messianic jews to really delve into that yeah and to me this sounds more like like you just said, a, a discipleship program, not so much a missionary operation, but I'm sure that the response has not always been positive or people see it that way. Has there been a response from other Jews in Israel, anti-missionaries, any persecution? We have had interactions with anti-missionaries. So let's just clarify what an anti-missionary is, right? An anti-missionary is somebody who essentially, actually ironically, is a missionary and they're, they're a missionary against Yeshua faith. So these are people who will go around, aggressively hand out pamphlets. They will even sometimes physically accost people. And it's all with the goal of taking Jewish people away from faith in the Messiah. They're missionizing for a very shallow view of Judaism, which is a Judaism that cannot have within it anything to do with Yeshua which is unfortunate because it's a very shallow understanding of what Judaism is. And so, yeah, we've, we've had some run-ins with these people. About two, two years ago, 
we had a, a pretty intense situation where two guys from the largest anti-Mission organization here in Israel called um, Yad Lachim, which means uh, a hand to brothers. They came over and, you know, I told them immediately who we were because we're not ashamed at all of our faith. And they took this meeting that I had with them and they turned it into a bit of a, a nasty media campaign that it just kind of blasted our names all over the media. Um, we were getting death threats. Uh, it was it was a pretty intense situation. And then recently, we had another anti-missionary from a, a, a different organization called Or Lachim. Okay, so that means light to brothers. Hmm. And he basically told me that he's like the nicer version of, of Yad Lachim. <laughs> and he came to our past two events that we had on the history of Messianic Judaism in Israel. And... Uh, you know, he handed out his anti-missionary book or whatever, and I talked to him for probably a half hour. Nice enough guy. The thing about like these people is that I can understand to a degree where they're coming from, because to them, they sincerely, sincerely believe that Yeshua faith is a type of idolatry that takes Jews away from the Torah. And so when you have this perception in your head that what we're practicing, what we're promoting is a type of idolatry. I can somewhat understand the zeal that they have. I think it's a completely misguided zeal that's based on just really bad thinking. But if that is what you believe, then I can understand where they're coming from. And history too. I mean, it's hard to erase <laughs> the the history between the, the church and the Jewish community. For sure. It doesn't help the perspective. Yeah. For sure. But we've also had very positive interactions with um with these people. Like for example, I told this recent anti-missionary guy, he says, you know, he says, what are you about? Are you, are you, are you a missionary? And I said, well, that's a hard question to answer, actually, because the reality is, is that you would say that any kind of conversation I have about your show as a missionary endeavor. I said, so is me talking to you right now, is that a type of missionary activity? He's like, well, no, because I want to talk to you about it. So, okay. So, so I'll, I will pray for you that you come to faith in Yeshua. And I pray for you and every Jewish person to come to faith in Yeshua. And he was like, "Hey, you're a very nice man. Like your your honesty is is incredible. Is very nice. You're being so honest with me because Israelis love honesty. But also, and this is something that Judy can talk about. She's um, uh, much more uh, personable than I am. But like on the floor that we're that we that we have our offices on, we have very good relationships with all of the other offices and people who know we're messianic. And that's that's been a great thing because actually, originally the head of the maintenance, she knew we we're messianic and." When I told her that we're messianic, she kind of just like her face went white and she was a bit like, you know, taken back. But since then, Judy has done a great job in developing a relationship and proving to her that we're normal, nice people. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you have, of course, you have people that can maybe come in from the outside who don't know us, who think that they understand who we are from the outside and then just start shouting at us without without taking a moment to, to get to know who we are and such. But you also have the people who we interact with on a daily basis, right? Like we're part of this huge building, which allows us to be very central, but it also means that we have a lot of neighbors. And from the beginning, there's a lot of people that we interact with from things having to do with the, the administration of being in the building um, or the head guys, actually the people who run the building sit on our floor as well. And so everybody kind of knows us and we have our doors open when it comes to different events and sometimes we have afternoon events, which we'll get into later, but we'll order food for an event. And then if there's food that's left over, we have our, our friends come come on by and they stop in and they'll get a whole little lunch and uh, they, they enjoy getting to talk with us. And people who are religious, who are religious Jews, who are practicing religious Jews, um, who think that we're nice people. And that's a great first step, in my opinion, and also in Brahm's opinion, actually. <laughs> so uh, we look forward to continuing to develop those relationships. And yeah, it takes time. From the outside, it might seem like it's it's the Messianic Jews and Christians versus the the religious Jews, and there's always this constant tension. But in the day to day life of things, when you're interacting with just normal people, people who don't necessarily have an agenda, the day to day life is very good, and we have very good relationships with people with other religious Jews, and also with other Messianic Jewish organizations as well. Things are are very good and we have good relationships with with these various groups of people which uh, is interesting to me I, I hearing boaz talk about it like there's a there's kind of a spectrum over there but a lot of what we would call messianic judaism in israel is just 
it's not super recognizably Jewish it's from a traditional Jewish perspective. And feelings can get pretty strong about how much traditional Judaism to bring into a Messianic Jewish practice. So, you know, I'm kind of interested to hear what your relationship is like. Uh, I know you're not a synagogue, but does anyone feel like you're stepping on their toes a little bit with education stuff or um, like theologically, have you had mostly concord and harmony or has there been, uh, have there been people saying, what are you, what are you doing all this Judaism for? Or how's it been? So Jacob, you mentioned spectrum. And I think that's exactly the word that I would use to describe the Messianic Jewish community here in Israel. You know, in the U.S. or abroad, Messianic communities or, or kihilot or congregations, whatever you, synagogues, whatever you want to call it, are physically spread out very far. Um, you know, maybe there's a couple in the same city, and that's shocking. Um, in Israel, we're such a small country, and there are dozens, if not hundreds, of Messianic congregations uh, in a very small radius, right? Like we can compare Israel to New Jersey and understand the size Driving from north to south is only seven or eight hours. It's a very small, small country. And so you have so many people, especially, especially in Jerusalem, that come from different backgrounds who, who, if they didn't grow up in Israel with some sort of angst against religious, um, who, you know, skip out of the army or who do this and that and who are looked down upon, and you came from overseas, well, then you're coming with a whole set of luggage regarding your understanding of what Messianic Judaism looks like, which could be very, very, very strongly influenced by uh, the world of Christianity. Now, of course, we wouldn't say that it's a bad thing. We just recognize that it's an influence that that is outside of Judaism that maybe comes against Judaism in the sense, right? A lot of maybe traditional Christian teaching could say, oh, Jesus was completely going against everything the Pharisees said, and that already is an issue. Just inherent replacement theology has made its way into pretty much so much rhetoric without people realizing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what about the Messianic Jewish community here in Jerusalem specifically and what has been maybe the reception or the response? Uh, Yes, we do have individuals who say Judaism doesn't necessarily have a place. You know, maybe they had bad experiences with religious people growing up. Maybe they have certain biases against them for various personal reasons. Um, maybe their congregation has always just, and I'll say this almost sarcastically, but cared more about Jesus' faith, the actual belief, the thoughts about Jesus or Yeshua versus the lifestyle that we're called to live as, as Jews who believe in Jesus. And this distinction is something that I think is important. It's important within, within our dialogues here. Uh, you do have people who come in and say, wow, this is actually quite refreshing. We have a very cool crew that is in here consistently who who believes very similarly, who has this very similar hashgafa perspective understanding. And then you have people who come in, even native Israelis, who are raised in a quote-unquote Messianic Jewish congregation, and the practice is completely not Jewish in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's kind of like a, a, mini, a mini church service, uh, just in Hebrew. And once again, not necessarily a bad thing on any level, just very different than our perspective and and what we'd like to encourage uh, believers here in Israel to, to be practicing. Wow. So now I'm getting more and more curious about <laughs> what life is actually like at the Brahm Center. And I'm getting, I'm getting like the itch. I want to come back and hang out with you guys. <laughs> yeah, come hang out. <laughs> but what are some of your ongoing events, like anything upcoming or past you'd, you'd want to tell us about? Yeah, great, great question. So on the weekly side, what we have going on, at least just let's just say right now, right? Right now we have a Monday night class on the Gospel of Matthew. We have a Wednesday Torah club, and we have a Thursday, what's called Lunch and Learn. Okay, so the Gospel of Matthew class, what, what we're doing, essentially what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, let's imagine that the Gospel of Matthew never left the Jewish world. And this was a book that was studied in Jewish learning institutions like Yeshiva. What would that look like? So in the class, we basically, we take like the Gospel and we say, okay, let's look at the the genealogies, for example. There's a problem with the genealogies, and it's that there's a contradiction between Matthew and Luke. Some generations are skipped over, etc. How would a person who was studying in Yeshiva who would sit back and say, this is holy writing, how would he reconcile those differences? What would he do? And then we unpacked, and we looked at different ways genealogies are treated in the Talmud, which ways genealogies are treated in, in the Midrashim, the, the Jewish exegesis of, of the Bible. 
And we saw different various ways of how, how this works and how genealogies are treated in classic Jewish literature. And what we realized was that essentially what Matthew is doing is right in line with the way other Jews, Jewish people, treated genealogies. It's very interesting. Right now, we, we've been going for about f- five months now, and I think we just started chapter, we're in verse 20 of chapter five. So we're going very slow, verse by verse, and really pulling things apart. And if you were to step into it, you would be kind of confused because in one class, we might mention several passages from the Talmud, a passage from a 20th century rabbi and maybe a church father, a historian. And the idea basically is all to bring in this idea of if we're going to put on Jewish lenses, because to understand that, Matthew, it is Jewish literature, here's how it would be understood, not just in the past, not just as a as a first century Jewish work, where we only look at it through the lens of first century Jewish writings, and that has its own place, but to sit back and say, if this is a living, if the Word of God is living and active, and this was a living and active Word of God in Jewish institutions, what would it look like? And you find that, yeah, it's not weird at all. It wouldn't be weird at all to read Matthew 5, you know, uh, do not think I've come to do with the Torah and the prophets, along with a long discussion from the Brisker Rebbe or from, you know, the the Sfas MS type of like writings. And, and that might seem odd to people, but the idea is just to say that this is Jewish, it was Jewish, and it still is Jewish. Like, you know, so that's the idea with that class. So it's, it's not academic in that way, but it's more of giving people an understanding of, hey guys, we're Messianic Jews. We practice Messianic Judaism, and you know, here is an example of how this first century gospel still has relevancy within modern Jewish writings and literature. That's fascinating. It is. I'm jealous now. I really, <laughs> I want to take this class, Jeremiah. Yeah, maybe I'm a little biased, but it's my it's my favorite class. It's my favorite one right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so the other thing is Torah Club. Right? I don't know if our listeners have heard Torah Club. Torah Club is our flagship study program. And essentially right now we're going through a track called Beginning of Wisdom, which is to take the Torah portion for that week, right? The, the Jewish community has divided the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, up into portions for each week. And to look at it through the lens of wisdom literature, Job, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and other um, Second Temple period Jewish writings that were at one point when the when the canon was a bit flexible, they were part of the canon, but then kind of fell off when the canon became standardized. That is done in English, and it's a great, great, great class because it's a great introduction to, you know, really first century Jewish thinking and to show the wisdom of the Torah. And then the other class we have is every other Thursday we have what's called Lunch and Learn. That is in Hebrew. And what that is, is that is a, a Messianic Jewish study on the Torah portion, what we do in Hebrew. And that is taught by myself and two other gentlemen. We rotate the teachings for that. And basically the idea with that is just simply to show that, you know, it's like when when Yeshua, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and it says he opened up the scriptures and showed them everything that was revealed about him in the scriptures. It's like that. It's to take the Parsha, the weekly Torah portion, and to show the connections to New Testament thought and to Yeshua. So that, that that's what goes on a, on a weekly basis. And then we have our like our special one-time events that Judy will, will, will explore a little bit. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we have a lot of, we'll call them one-time events, um, though maybe that doesn't do it justice, but we, we have uh, events that'll probably become, year, <laughs> become yearly events uh, that revolve either around the holidays or around specific classes where we bring in different lecturers so I'll just kind of run through a couple of the events that we've had the past year. We had an incredible Kabbalat Shabbat. That was a really beautiful Friday night. We had a, a bunch, I mean, dozens of people there. And a lot of them even mentioned that they had never experienced the traditional Shabbat, who are, remind you, believers living in Israel. We had a Tuba Shabbat Seder that we did here at the Brahm Center. First Fruits of Zion has a Tuba Shabbat Seder book that's just beautiful and very symbolic. Uh, it's incredible to kind of dive into a holiday that's less well-known. Um, we had a tour in the old city close to Yom Kippur. In, in Israel, we have what's called the Sior Slichot, which is the time that you're making repentance. And we had a Messianic tour guide uh, show a ton of us around different parts of the old city and then go and pray Slichot with thousands of people at the Western Wall. Uh, that was pretty incredible. We've done a Havdalah party where we celebrated Havdalah all together. 
Uh, we had a Hanukkah party, which we celebrated Hanukkah, of course, and we had a blast. We had a game where we took everybody to the synagogue. And the, we, oh, the synagogue. So that was on purpose. Got it. Okay. We had a dreidel competition, of course. We had a whole bracket, a bracket system. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so those those are kind of all the classes and, and events that we've had, not all of them even, a lot of the different classes and events that we've had over the past year or so. And actually, we're looking forward to two incredible events just in these next few weeks. Um, the first one is called uh, The Worlds to Come, and, and our, our own teacher, Aaron Eby, is, is here in, in Israel, and he'll be giving that lecture. I have a, a lot of interest in that lecture right now, the concept of diving into the the afterlife and redemption and eternity and what that all looks like and presenting a view that's very different than maybe a mainstream belief that comes from within the the world of Jewish disciples here in Israel. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see what discussion is going to flourish around that, that lecture. And we also have an incredible concert, actually, that will be put on by two Messianic Israeli composers and artists. It's called Wake Up My Beloved is the composition. And by two very well-known Messianic artists here in Israel, and they'll be performing an entire like hour and a half, almost two-hour concert that brings us on, on this journey through, through waking up and, and recognizing the end times and encouraging us to be strong, solid believers uh, and followers, disciples of Yeshua uh, during these difficult times. And that's all original compositions that they've created. And uh, we're going to turn the Brahms Center into a little, into a little music venue. So... Um... This, this whole constellation of activity, I'm sure our, our listeners are wondering, uh, do, do you feel, because you've been there do, doing this stuff for like eight years, do you feel like you've got, in that time, you've, you're, you've been able to uh, push the steering wheel a little bit? Like, have you found that you have a footprint there and that like people are coming around? Because um, I mean, you're, you're probably still in the minority as far as how much traditional Judaism um, you advocate for for uh, Jewish disciples, but are you bringing people over to um, to our view here? Yeah, that that's a great question. I wouldn't even say we're a minority. I would say we're more like a statistical error. <laughs> um, yes, I have. So, like you know, we're, I'll just give practical, like real life examples of of different, just small things that have that have happened. Last year, before the High Holy Days, I gave a class on the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur liturgies. That's that's the the two major high holidays in the Jewish calendar. And basically, what we did is we just opened up the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, and we went through the different prayers. And I showed the messianic connotations of these prayers. And a, a Jewish man that that uh, has come to some of our events had said that you know for the first time he feels comfortable praying these prayers now. Because once you understand the prayers properly, you realize that the entire Jewish liturgy is just basically one giant prayer for redemption. Hmm, that's very true. And so by showing that, he was able to practically pray in a synagogue with the liturgy, but not as some type of like dichotomy of like, well, I'm, I have to put Yeshua on the shelf now. I have to put Jesus on the shelf to engage with this Jewish thing. No, understanding that everything he was praying for was exactly what Yeshua's prayer was for, and Paul's prayer was for the redemption of the Jewish people, and that he's participating in that. Another example is that we had, last year we had a, a class on basically introduction to Judaism for various uh, Jewish disciples here in, in Jerusalem, and these people come from a, a background that might be a bit hostile towards a traditional Jewish expression of Yeshua faith, and you know, another uh, gentleman said, you know, I'm going to I'm not going to have such a knee-jerk reaction against traditional Judaism anymore. I'm going to have to. I'm going to think twice before I just assume that it's some type of made-up rabbinical thing that's that's made to make me not believe in Yeshua. And then a third example is on our recent all-night Pentecost study, which in Hebrew is called Tikkun Leil, is the all-night study. We decided to dive into Second Corinthians three, which talks about the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant, and the written. The, the letter and the spirits. And what we found essentially through kind of digging into the different sources is that basically Paul makes an amazing midrash on the giving of the Torah in Exodus 19 and 34. And essentially what he shows, I believe, is that what the new covenant is, what the spirit is, is what the giving of the Torah was always meant to be before it was kind of broken by the golden calf issue. 
And then what the Spirit does is the Spirit allows us actually to fully integrate what God always intended for the Torah to be with His people. And for the people that was there, there was about 50 people there from a whole gamut of different backgrounds. Traditional Messianic Jews, we even had some Franciscan monks, evangelical Messianics. But for them to hear that, to think, okay, wait a minute, that there isn't a dichotomy between Old and New Covenant. That it's not Old Covenant's terrible, wicked, bad, New Covenant, full of grace, love, and mercy. It's that the New Covenant, the Spirit, basically, it integrates what the letter is into our hearts to then allow what the grace that God always wanted to impute upon the Jewish people to be internalized into us. And so to kind of get those those mind shifts taking place and those you know new ways of thinking, it might not at first seem like it's making a lot of impact, but over the long run, eventually, like things will start to turn in a, a in a better way of thinking. Do you feel like it's pretty different now than it was um, when you guys first started, or maybe like what's the biggest change that you can see? Yeah, you know, as far as changes in the past eight years. I, you could look at it from two perspectives. You could say, on the one hand, there's really not been much that's changed because this way of thinking that we're trying to correct has been so ingrained into not just Messianic Jews in Israel, but many disciples of Yeshua that you're not going to have much of an impact in eight years. You're not going to erase thousands of years of history, theology in eight years. It's just not going to happen. But there has been tremendous progress in the sense that we're here. We're physical presence. People know who we are. We've built relationships. We've had classes. We've had, I mean, I would say at this point, people who've come through our doors at this point have probably been into probably the hundreds of people that have come through our doors. And those hundreds of people have connections to other people, which means that in some way, in the past eight years, we've probably impacted thousands and thousands of people in Israel and around the world just through interactions with the Brahm Center, which is very encouraging. But you know, we, we mentioned that the Brahms Center began eight years ago, but I think that might not be true. I think the Brahms Center actually, as an idea, began probably back in the 40s, right, with Avram Poliak. So you could really say the Brahms Center is not really eight years old. It's more like pushing 80 years. <laughs> and but, but that's okay because if you look at, you know, time just in general and God's big picture and God's big plan, eight years is really nothing. 80 years is nothing. It's just God has given us the grace at this point to be involved with it in a physical way, like with a physical Brahm Center. There was an, I just mentioned there was a um, a study that just came out maybe six months ago by the Kaspari Center. That's another um, uh, Christian Messianic Jewish Learning Center here in Israel on the statistics on Jewish Jesus believers in Israel. And what it showed essentially is that under all demographics in Israel, accounting for size differences in capita, et cetera, that the sub-demographic in Israel of Jewish people who believe in Jesus is the fastest growing demographic in Israel. Wow, interesting. And it's three times the pace of all other demographics. Now, it might not seem like that, but that's what the statistics show. And so for me, it's actually very encouraging because what it shows is that we have a tremendous opportunity to really impact Jewish Israelis who are coming to faith in Yeshua from all backgrounds, secular backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ultra-Orthodox backgrounds, and traditional backgrounds, and that literally being in the center of Jerusalem, God willing, as more and more people, more and more Israelis come to faith, I would hope that one of their first exposures to Messianic Judaism, to Yeshua faith, would be the Brahm Center and would be our understanding of things. And they would sit back and say, yeah, I came to faith in Yeshua, but I don't need to throw my Sudur away in the trash can. I don't need to, you know, like trade out my chalot for pork sandwiches. I can keep being Jewish because for me, as a Jewish disciple, that is a beautiful way to express my discipleship to Yeshua. And so we just have a tremendous opportunity here in the land of Israel and, you know, we'll be here for, for a while. And I think that God will guide us and he'll help us and his His Holy Spirit will, you know, impress upon our hearts what we are to do and say to have the greatest impact for, for the kingdom and for the Messiah. Wow. You're doing so much great work and so many regular events and reaching so many people. But tell me, where does the support come from for this? I mean, um, it seems like it'd be quite a load to take on. Yeah, you know, Israel is an expensive place, uh, especially Jerusalem. 
you know, you can rent a broom closet for about 20000 a month. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. The support comes from our, from our friends, from the First Fruits of Zion Friends Program. You're right. It's tremendously expensive to, to live here and to work here. And so we are incredibly grateful for the supporters and friends of First Fruits of Zion. So I just, I want to chime in on this comment as well, because of course, you know, providing food and, and programming here in Israel is expensive, but um, we also really take into consideration these donations. About a year or so ago um, at our conference, we brought up uh, a First Fruits of Zion friend and, and someone who's involved in Torah Club and his son, who's, who's very young, talked about how, how he's been donating $5 a month for a long time and how he's one of our youngest FFOZ friends. And that really made an impact on me because anytime I purchase something or anytime we're hiring somebody to come and, and do a teaching here or perform a concert here or, you know, host an event, I think about that kid's $5. You know, I think about how he's putting aside money that's significant and important to the kingdom from his heart and how we need to take, you know, every every dollar, every shekel, uh, everything seriously here. And that's something that we, we keep in mind as well. Oh, man, I love that. Little bit goes a long way, right? That's it. <laughs> well, let's look a few years into the future. Where do you see yourselves then? And what are some of the Brahm Center's long-term goals that you want to accomplish? Yeah, of course. So so I'll kick this one off. The Brahm Center is an incredible space, and we have the opportunity to reach so many people, like we've already talked about. And we have a lot of dreams for this space, not only in providing so many different types of classes that there's something that is interesting and and fitting for everyone from different backgrounds, including different languages as well. Right now we run things in English and in Hebrew, but there's also a large Spanish, French, and German-speaking community here uh, in Jerusalem as well as Russian. And <laughs> you, you kind of get the whole gambit. So we look into that for the future <laughs> as, as well. You definitely you definitely do here in Jerusalem. It's a very unique community. It's beautiful. So not just looking at various classes at different times of day to, to, to speak to different populations of people here in Israel, um, whether it's a student studying, you know, at Hebrew U or who only has a certain random time, hour of night, or maybe a Christian who's volunteering here in Israel who doesn't work Sundays and we can put on a class on a Sunday. Not not just programs like this, but also we have a vision to really continue connecting with the different Messianic organizations, Christian organizations, as well as secular organizations, of course, here in Israel, getting to know them, getting to you know, share with them what the goal of the Brahm Center is and how they can be a part of it in a way that's interesting and exciting for them. Of course, long-term, we would love to see more Messianic Jewish practice here in Israel and just as a blessing, of course, being a part of the Jewish community. I, you know, I had a, a Jewish disciple today, Israeli, native Israeli, ask me, why is it that we even study the Torah portion? And she's coming from a different background and, and it's like, well, this is awesome. We get to join in with all of Am Yisrael. We get to join in with the entire Jewish nation and doing something. So we want not just more questions like that, but more people answering in that same way, <laughs> right, of involvement within the Jewish community. One of the, the hopes that I have in the near future is to basically have so many events going on, so many classes, so many events, so many lectures that people on the outside sit back and say, wow, this is like you're nonstop. And the, basically the idea is to sit back and, and be a testimony for Yeshua to say, yeah, disciples of Yeshua, we love learning. Yeah. And the learning center in Israel for Messianic Jews is a place where there's just nonstop learning because we love God's word so much. They just we just want to learn all the time. And then another, you know, long-term goal that I have, this is a, a goal that will not probably be accomplished for several decades, actually is I would love for there to be multiple Brahm centers throughout Israel. And with the idea of that, hopefully God willing, in, in maybe 40, 50 years from now, that the impact that we're having is is so great that essentially that this expression of Messianic Judaism will be a normalized expression of Messianic Judaism within the believing body here to where it will be natural to say, oh yeah, like the more traditional Messianics up, up in Haifa, they have a learning center up there for themselves. But that to accomplish that goal is going to take uh, uh, qu quite a while. But that's a beautiful, beautiful dream. I'd like to see that myself. To me, this sounds like a real kingdom vision, right? I mean, bringing Jewish people to a faith in Yeshua, practicing Judaism. I mean, this is this is one of those things that you can see in our world as like a proleptic or like a in advance, the kingdom is here in some small way. And to see to see this happening in the land of Israel, 
seems really significant, right? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's really beautiful what we have going on here and, and this relationship, this connection between people here in Israel and between different communities. And, and, you know, the, the Brahm Center itself was a vision of Avram Poliak something like 80 years ago. And, and now it's here. Now it exists. And he even passed before it, before it existed. And now we can't even imagine these incredible things that are going to happen here in Jerusalem, around the country of Israel, around the nation. And of course, going out to other nations from, from the things that we can learn and grow from and, ins- and be inspired by here in Israel. And uh, I just, I pray that Hashem would continue to bless the work of First Fruits of Zion here in Israel and, and the work of the Brahm Center here in Jerusalem and the work of, of Messiah Podcast to all of our listeners. As Isaiah said, the Torah will go forth from Jerusalem, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. So we got to get that rolling, right? You know, there's got to be a Torah to go out from Jerusalem. Wow. Well, this has been such a cool conversation. It really makes me see the vision of the kingdom actually coming together and uh, the work you're doing to make it happen. So thank you to both of you for, for being here and, and sharing your time and your, and your work with us. Really enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. And now we got to run and get ready for our Torah club that's happening in a few minutes. <laughs> Go do it. Go do the work. Love to hear it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we'll catch you guys later. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. I'm inspired now, Jacob, to go back to Israel. They really made me excited about what's going on in Jerusalem. Like I told them, from what they're describing, I can actually see like the kingdom tangibly coming together. It's so cool. Yeah, it's uh, people talk all the time about oh, the prophetic movement of the Holy Spirit and stuff. But when you look at like the actual things that are definitely supposed to happen, this is on like the short list. Jewish people in the land of Israel returning to the Torah and following the Messiah. Like that's, you know, it's wave, it's waving big green flag. I won't say red flags because those are usually, but it's waving big green flags all over the place. Like, like something big is happening and uh, it's pretty nice to be a part of it. Yeah. This is sort of boots on the ground stuff that really makes you, makes you realize this is, this is coming together and Hashem is, is faithful. Well, if you as a listener feel led to help support their work, you can go to ffoz.org to become an FFOZ friend, and you'll get regular updates about how the work is progressing. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Messiah Podcast is made possible by the generosity of our First Fruits of Zion friends. FFOZ friends are people like you who support our mission and get loads of exclusive Bible commentary, teaching, and content. You can join today at ffoz.org. Tune in next time for more great conversations. Until then, I'm Stephanie Hammond. And I'm Jacob Franzak. Shalom, friends. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea